You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the latest episode of House of League. Three rounds in, first coaching casualty on the board. Lee Radford has left the Castleford Tigers after three straight defeats. And this is a bit of a special podcast to cover that with uh, two men very familiar with Castleford and Lee Radford himself. First, uh, Castleford legend, I think that's fair to say. Uh, made around 200 appearances at the club there over a decade. Craig Hubey and a man who knows uh, Lee Radford very well indeed, Paul Cook. Gents, welcome. How are we both? How are we both feeling about this uh, decision? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, thank you, Matt, for, for having us on again. Um, I'm OK, and I think Radis is probably OK. I texted him this morning just to say, uh, how are you? And if there's anything that he wanted to, to, to put out there publicly that he hasn't done in his statement and got no reply. So that tells me he's OK, because last time... When he left Hull and he had problems at Hull, um, you know, we did speak about them things and um, I got I got to know the gist of what why he was doing what he was doing and why what, what was happening at Hull through him. So um, I, I think with his silence is probably golden and, and I know that the, the club have already announced that he was to leave at the end of this season with not renewing his contract. And if I do put two and two together, I spoke to Liam Watts at the end of last season and he is out of contract, one of them 14 players out of contract this year. And um, he was told by the, the board of directors and, and Radders that, that there would be no renewing of contracts until the club had decided which avenue they were going down with regards to the head coach for the, the 2024 season. So it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, It was a, a longer-term plan and, and I'm sure Lee's got something in the pipeline. His silence is golden to me. Craig, what you'll see in the news this morning. Uh, what what was your initial reaction when you saw it? Um, I, I think probably from from a cast fan's point of view, I think a lot of them will will be okay with his decision. I think over the last couple of weeks, you know, especially the result based, um, it's not been the, the best. Obviously, as Cook has just said, Radders is leaving it at the end of the year anyway. So, um, and then fourteen players who are out of contract, it's difficult to sign them back up without a coach in place. So, it's probably the best for for Radders and probably best for the club as well. And, you know, they can concentrate on on the rest of this year and and try and rebuild um, for potentially a new coach coming in next year. Yeah, I think players were told this morning, I think think the the key thing is here, I don't think this is a sacking. This is actually Radders making the call himself almost to, to walk away. And 
Cookie, we spoke a bit about this, haven't we? Like about what was going on at Cass, and the, the reality is, Lee was moving on at the end of the year, uh, and I think there's always been a, a plan in the background that it would be Andy Last who got this this role next. It it ultimately has now accelerated, happened quicker than anyone would have thought. But ne- is it necessarily a bad thing? If if anything, it gives Cass a a chance to have a a better look at what Andy Lass can do, doesn't it? Yeah, just, well, first and foremost, Andy Lass in position, and we've got a, we've got a number of you know articles that have already been printed and already gone out about you know potential targets for the club or potential coaches. It's a little bit unfair on Andy because um, he is in position, and he may well be given the opportunity to stake a claim over the next you know part of the season or even the whole of the season. Um, I spoke with Mark Wilson and Adrian Durham this morning as well about this. You know, the, the, is there a danger that Cass could go down this year and be relegated? I don't think so. I think what saves them is potentially Wakefield, who uh, are, are really in the, the, the midst of, of a bad run and, you know, conceding so many points. And I know Castle could have, particularly, you know, this weekend, but it's a little bit unfair, Andy, to. To be, to, to be having four or five other coaches that may be in the frame. And that may well be the, the direction Castleford do go in terms of Andy just being interim again. What I will say about Andy is when Lee Radford left Hull FC and, and um, he, was, he was let go live on Sky Sports by the owner, Andy galvanised that group to a, a group which got to a position of winning a lot more games than they have done over the previous few years at the end of a season. Um and then he was ultimately let go. And there's a massive feeling in Hull particularly. And I know Andy's from Hull and I know Lee is. But there was a big feeling in Hull that Andy was, you know, may, maybe a little bit unfortunate to be let go by Hull because his results did help towards the end of the season to, to, to maybe stake a claim for the job. In the end, Brett Hodgson was given it. And then he was relieved anyway. But, um, yeah, it, it, it'd be really interesting to see which direction the club go. And it'll be interesting again to see if Andy can can bring together a group who, with all due respect, Matt, look look completely and utterly shattered, never mind fractured. They look to be in a million different pieces and that can't be an easy for Lee to deal with as well. I mean, you know, just prior to the season starting, the, the Joe Westerman incident, um, you know, it can't, it can't have been easy to, to deal with. And, and, you know, there's never any smoke without fire in rugby league. And if you, you listen to some of the rumours that uh, are said about Castleford and the organisation and the players themselves, then the, the, maybe one or two or maybe even more than that, I've got to have a look in the mirror. Craig, ju- just on that, you, you've seen a bit of Cass this year. I know you, you've been busy with the, the commentary and, and the like. What have you made of them so far? Obviously, the results haven't been great. What about the performances? Yeah, again, I think the the last two games, especially if you look at both games, I think this the Wigan game, they were 6-0 down at half-time and I think Wigan only scored um, probably four minutes before half-time, were it? And the Saints game were, were pretty similar. So they have been in and around games. It's just when it, it looks like from the outside, when something negative is happening, then there's a massive um, free fall of everybody just doesn't know what to do. And there's no leaders, no one standing up. And and that's when the game obviously blows away. And again, you, you look at the last two results, barring a penalty try, they've, they've not played the attacking game that everybody thought they would do now they've brought Milky, now they've got Widdup, they've got Evels back at fullback and, and McShane obviously at nine. So there's obviously some sort of reason why they're not obviously playing well together. There's obviously some sort of issue within camp, whether it's a, a 
around. Obviously, Radis not knowing if he was going to be there or not. The 14 players who were off contracts, you, you don't know. You don't know what's happening in and around it. You don't know what sort of the other staff are doing, the, the other staff who were in and around, especially some of the SNC blokes as well. So there's all matter of reasons. And then obviously you throw the, the Wester situation in there um, a week before the season. It, it sort of <laughs> it breaks your squad, doesn't it? Because some, some blokes won't really affect, some blokes it will really affect. And, and not only that, you'll have some blokes who are married who's got missuses who... who could end up kicking off with them as well about if they've been out with that in that situation and in and around it as well. You know what I mean? So there's there's lots of factors um, to it, not just a, a rugby league. It, you you fellas will know this far better than me, having been in the inner sanctums when off-field drama has, has gone on. How difficult will this Westerman situation have, have been? I, I'm looking at it from the outside and I'm not sure they got it right in <laughs> In that they played him straight after. Yeah, I, do, I think personally on that one, obviously I've, I've been in that situation before, and for me, he should have probably played for the first week, definitely. In um, fact, that they only took a few hours to to sort of come out and say that this is what's going to happen, and and that's it. I think it was seen to be, you know, a bit of. A, a laugh and a joke and I think if, it, if that's in the NRL he probably doesn't play for quite a while there's, there's the integrity unit get involved in that and there's a big full investigation not just a couple of hours for the club a slap on wrist and say there you go you can play on, on Saturday I think it's it's a tough one obviously I am, I am mates with Joe um, and I, I, to be fair I haven't actually spoke to him about it because it's not my business and I'm sure he's got enough stick and, and conversations with other people, but he, he'll know what he did was wrong. Um, and I also think that he will he will be one of them players who who tries his best to make sure this season has a better outcome than it started. I just look at it and go, look, because he didn't play in the second week, and they said it was performance. I'm not buying that for a minute. I don't believe that was performance related whatsoever. The, the thing with the thing with the situation for me, Matt, is um, the club dealt with it pretty quickly. In terms of, you know, came out and said they was going to do an investigation, and then uh, the difficulty with this situation is it involves it doesn't just involve Joe Westerman. Whereas whereas Miss Misdemeanors off field usually involve a player or two or three, but they never involve anybody outside of the playing group usually. Um, this involves a, a, a younger, fe- a female who is also married with children who has been relieved of her job um, and been sacked from her job because of the incident. It also then involves Joe Westerman's child who went on Twitter, the 15-year-old who understands it. It also involves his other two children and it involves his wife who then went into the media and in some ways you know, vindicated herself and, and made herself feel better because of what Joe had done. So it then involves all of them people, and then it involves other players, other players' wives and girlfriends who are friends with Joe's wife, and disagrees with it completely. Then it involves the rest of the players because they go home, and their wife, as Craig's just said, ends up giving them stick because they might have been in uh, out that night as well with him or, or, or around it. So it, it, the, the situation was was so different to what normal off-field ones are, or, or you know, or in my in my eyes and what, what's happened in my life, 
a lot of it's just involved yourself off the field. You haven't involved anybody else, um, particularly visually with a video phone and stuff like that. So um, it's a really tough one for the club. The, the other thing is there's a, there's, a, there's a welfare issue with Joe too. So if he doesn't play week one and he sits in his own house and, God forbid, takes his own life, the club are then, you know, because he may have said, well, I need to play. I want to play because the best place for me is to play and be on the rugby field because that's my safe space. Um, you know, that may well not have been the case, but it might have been. So it's a really tough one for the club and it's a really tough one for Radders if Joe says he wants to play. And it wasn't performance related, I don't believe, for the week after. I don't think then Lee Radford handled the situation with regards the Sun very well. And speaking about the, the article that the Sun did on the on the story and not the World Club Challenge, because the naivety of that is the World Club Challenge could never have been reported on until Sunday anyway, not Saturday, because the, the deadlines aren't, aren't there, so are out there to be met. So, you know, it's a real naive one. And then he gets a lot of pelters because of that, and then Joe gets left out. It just, you know, it just, it wasn't handled really well after the initial handling of it, which was really quick. Um, yeah, just on I'm not sure which way is best to go, Matt. I'm not sure if you leave him out, whether that makes it better or worse, because yeah. it might make it better for some people, but it might not make it better for Joe. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the duty of care towards him. I think, I think, like you said, it, it was just a bit naive of Lee to think, you know, that that story wasn't going to get traction. You know, well, it's not just end... that, Matt. It had been reported on all week, so the sun didn't run it until the Saturday. Um, yeah. But it had been reported on all week, so it's not like it's one paper that you should attack for that story. No. Because the no. very next day, the very, very next day, there's a double-page spread on the World Club Challenge victory of St. Helens. So for me, yeah. it was just naive and stupid. And... I'm pretty sure Lee will say the same. You know, I got it wrong. And I know that he's already spoken to Gary Carter personally, who wrote the story, because I spoke to Gary on Thursday at Warrington. So it's just a really tough one for the club and Lee. And and it's a culmination of everything, which he's, he's leaving now. Listen, there's no way on the planet that the club would have wanted to sack Lee Radford after three games. There's no way you'd give him, you know, at least six, seven, eight games before you make that decision. This is unheard. You know, we've never really in rugby league had a coach sacked after three weeks or let go after three weeks. There's certainly a reason that Lee's gone as well. You know, and as I said, his silence is pretty golden because I believe he's got something planned. I don't know, but I believe he'll have something planned for next year in, in whether that is in the NRL because of his World Cup exploits with Samoa or whether it is still in the British game. Yeah, I mean, tr truth be told, uh, and almost kicking myself for never saying anything now, but th there's been rumblings for months that Lee was going to was going down under next year, um, whether that be a more in active involvement with Samoa, an NRL backroom job. You know, there's there's been bit of talk that maybe Cronulla going with Craig Fitzgibbon. I think one of the other Samoa backroom staff members is on the coaching staff at Cronulla too. So there has there has been plenty of talk. Yeah. Um and, and it and it almost did seem to be adding up because there's been a bit of a there's been a suggestion that Andy Last won't be on the England coaching staff uh come come the autumn, which again would add to add weight behind the fact that he, that's because he's going to be at Castleford and have, have the head coach's role. So there's been all of that going on. Um just to move it on, while we're on Samoa, this was something else I wanted to ask. And I don't want to delve too much into this, but it was noted that Lee Radford missed quite considerable chunks of pre-season 
due to his Samoa involvement at the start with the World Cup and then the celebrations later on. He missed one of the pre-season games. I, how, how do we think... What do we think about that? Are we, are we comfortable with that? Are we uncomfortable? It just it seems to me, I didn't really have much of an opinion on it. However, if they had a post that, as they did, it left him open to be shot at. I think it it would have still had a massive involvement in, in playing pre-season, though. And, and that's why you've got other assistant coaches in and around you. That's why you've got a, a strength and conditioning group. I know there's a number of them there as well. So... In terms of coaching-wise, there's enough experienced coaches there to to obviously assist and, and put into system what Brad is, is trying to do. And and the fact that a, a lot of the team were actually still there, you know, yeah, you brought Miller and Widdop in, but the, them, them two are no inexperienced halfbacks. They know what sort of systems they're walking in. And when you've got people like McShane and Evels and and people like that who, who know how to play the game, the Going to slot in easy, and they've got experienced coaches who's also worked within a World Cup system. Then I think it's that it could be just an excuse for me that. Yeah, for for me, Matt, there's it does leave him open to be shot at, but it leaves you know every other assistant coach of of, of um, any international team, including Lasty, it leaves everybody open to be shot at in a World Cup year. Um, he would he would have missed a, a chunk of preseason, yes, and I agree with Craig. I think there's lots of other people at the club, and he would have still had a heavy involvement in making sure that the place was running smoothly. the the big The big ones for me are it, it looks it looks a mess from the outside because of lots of situations, and you can pin you, you can't pinpoint one. So you, you can talk now about Lee Radford not not being at a preseason game and missing chunks of preseason. Andy Last the same. But then you can fire shots at the other staff because it's not gone right then. And he wasn't there for that time, so are they partially to blame? Then you've got 14 players off contract who don't know whether they're going to have a job next year and they don't know they're going to be playing under. And if Bradford knows that he's not going to be at the club next year, he will certainly have told some of them players that of them plans that he won't be there next year. So he yeah. can't really have a say on their contractual negotiations because it might be a different, it will be a different head coach and that head coach has got to have autonomy over who stays and who goes. And just 14, on that, players, well, 14 players is a chunk of your squad. Yeah, just just on that, what you're saying about the coaches as well, What what's the difference with the coach being away at, at a World Cup and what's the difference with your, your key players being away at the World Cup? Because yeah, surely exactly. that just interferes just as much, if not more so, than... Than the coach been there. Yeah, we're looking. We're, we're looking. We're looking for lots of reasons as to why this has happened. Ultimately, it was going to happen, whether it was today or whether it was at the end of the season. Mm. And ult- and there's still 14 players out of contract that don't know the gaffer's going to be next year at Castleford because they've not named it who it's going to be after Lee Radford. And everybody would have then known in January that Lee was leaving, or, or yeah. at least at least some key players who would have asked him that that, that question. Once he says the answer to one player, it'll spread like wildfire around the squad. You've got 14 blokes that don't know what they're going to be doing next year. It's all very, very precarious, isn't it, for them players? And then, you know, they're not playing well. On top of that, the results haven't been good. The 30-odd nil loss at the weekend's the last straw. But, But there's no way... I think Lee Radford's gone in and said, listen... Somebody needs to be given the opportunity to get these players playing. It's not been a great start to the season. I am moving on anyway. Let's give it a, a, every opportunity. Maybe that's his way of then, you know, not just walking away and getting rid of and freeing himself up of all that stress before what's next for him. 
but it, it maybe is a way which gives somebody else the opportunity to to make it right this season in Andy Last or anybody else who comes in and then mm. sort out the contractual players that are off contract, whether you want to keep them or whether they're going next year. Which has got to be said before, is it June 1st still? May 1st. Yeah. May 1st. Yeah. I've, I think the, the big one for me, and, and this is more, not so much about Lee Radford, but, but Castleford as a club. I don't know if... Uh, how well this is known, but but the club's recruitment policy when it comes to overseas signings, right, is they will only sign overseas players who are currently in the UK. They won't sign directly from the NRL. They don't want to do that for a few reasons. They see it as uh, less of a risk in terms of settling in and stuff like that. Um, and also it's cheaper because it, they're over here already. It's just cheaper. But... <sighs> I, I just look at the recruitment over the, a, a number of years and, and question it. I, I, I question the strategy of the recruitment. I'm going before Lee Radford here as well. This is a, a relatively long-term thing. As an example, though, Lee said before this recruitment cycle just gone that he wanted to make the squad younger. It needed to become younger. Well, their three senior signings were Gareth Widdop, Jacob Miller, and Albert Vette, we're all 30 plus. You know, where does that add up? And then I look at their squad now. They have 15 players who are 30 or older, which is comfortably the most in Super League. And I just I just look at what Cass have been doing over a, a, a fair period of time. And I don't know, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what the strategy is. You can look at other clubs and you can see what they do. I don't think I, I understand or or even can identify what Cass's recruitment strategy is. And I wonder what that means for them in the long run. Again, just listening to you there, I've got no idea what, what their recruitment was. Um, to be fair, I, w- I wouldn't have even known that the rec- recruitment policy was nobody from overseas, um, which I find a little bit strange. I think a lot of the, the players over here now, especially the, the overseas players, um, if they are leaving other teams, there's a reason why the teams have had enough out of them, they've got enough out of them, or they're a distraction to the group. Um, I know Cass years and years and years ago have struggled with uh, overseas signings. You know, for, for one instance, what comes to mind straight away is, is I think it was back in 2004 when Sean Rudder got signed as the next big thing, got paid a shed load of cash, and everybody thought, we signed a world beater. We're going to win league and everything, and, and we end up being relegated. And Sean Rudder left it after six months because he wasn't the player that everybody thought he was. They just saw his name. Sorry, we're playing next to Andrew Johnson, and he's going to win his league, and it, it just doesn't happen. So they have been burnt quite a little, quite often by signing players like that, um, and, and a few different players when Mick Robinson were here, who were obviously doing his own recruitment and. And got burnt that way again. Um, but yeah, just uh, for me, I think it, it's probably lacking a, a real sense of cast boys. You know, there's quite a few of them in there, but you, you look last week, um, at least three, three local cast boys who, who probably bleed cast room through were all dropped. Yeah. Just, just to make the point on the overseas stuff, so there's seven uh, non federation trained players this year, right? Jake Mamo signed from Warrington. Beretta Ferrano signed from Hull FC. Kenny Edwards and Swaya Matangi, who both came from Huddersfield. Mahe Fanu came from Hull FC. 
Albert Vetter, who came from Hull KR, and Jacob Miller, who came from Wakefield. The last overseas, overseas signing they made, I believe, was Chase Blair. Now, that may be where they go, well, point proven, because ultimately, you know, Chase Blair was a big money signing. He was on a big salary. It didn't work. But I just think you're, you're really limiting, as you rightly pointed out, Craig, you, you're really, really limiting the pool of players that you can go and sign from as for your quarter spots. If you're only taking them from Super League, half of them, if not more, are contractors. And then the ones that have become available, well, there's probably a reason why they're becoming available. Well, I, I, spoke to, I, I spoke to a Super League coach a few weeks ago, and he said, whichever signing you make from overseas, whether they're from overseas or whether they're here and they're from overseas and you sign them from another club, is a risk because there's a reason they're here. There's a reason they're here and they're not in the NRL top 30 teams, uh, top yeah. 30 squads. There's a reason that they come over here because they're not quite good enough to be in the NRL. However, doing what Castleford are doing, Matt, you miss out on Brodie Croft or the opportunity to sign Brodie Croft. You miss out on the opportunity to sign Jai Field and Bevan French because you're not signing them from overseas. And that, to me, is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You're right. You, they're, they're continually shrinking their own pool of players that are overseas because they're only signing them from England because they're already here and settled and if you sign a player from England so case in point may well be Chase Blair's last overseas signing and that might be their point but Kenny Edwards hasn't set the world on fire this year, neither has um, neither has Albert Vette, neither has Mahir Fanua since he came back to Hull FC from West Tigers, although he was outstanding before he left you really are. You're running a risk of, of signing any any overseas player because there's a risk of them coming over on big money, not performing and going home with a shed load of cash. But that happens everywhere, Matt. Yeah, yeah. The last one I've had, we had in Hull, Josh Josh Reynolds, mm-hmm. comes over, bought loads of cash, and then ends up going back home. And now he's in Canterbury's top 30 because he's gone over there and worked hard again. Well, it's a risk. And it's a risk for every club. But what Cass are doing is that... the. the they're self-narrowing their own pool. They're self-shrinking it by only signing overseas players that are already based in England because it's a bit less of a risk. Well, it's not working for them. No. It's not working on, for them, is it? It's on not that, though, as well, they're, they're shrinking the, the pool of, of overseas players, but they're also losing out on a lot of local players who are going to different teams. Look, Cass is a great area for young kids for in and around here. I know... Parents of kids who are in Warrington Academy, Leeds Academy, Wakefield Academy, uh, Wigan Academy, they're, they're losing the players, the local players, because for whatever reason, they're just not interested in signing the, the decent crop of young kids or giving them a little bit of money to, to make them stay. I know my decision as a as a 16-year-old kid, when I came to sign at Cass, was, I love this town, I love this club. I want to play for Cass. And probably all them kids who are going to Warrington, Leeds, Wigan, wherever, all think the same as what I did. But the, it's different now that they're not, that they're going there now because it's a better academy and a better experience and better training where if yeah. they were offered that little bit of extra incentive at, at Cass to be, be to come through from, from academy to reserves to first team, then they'd probably stay. But they don't feel like they're wanted by these coaches who are running the academies or or from first team downwards. They're losing a massive pool of players that 
could be so vital to the progression of the club over the next 10, 15, 20 years when it happens. It's a vicious circle, Matt, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I think that's a really good point and a really interesting one. You know, to play to play devil's advocate, they aren't a, uh, a Warrington who are flush with cash. They aren't, a, you know, a Leeds, a Wigan or whatever. They don't have the facilities. They don't have the, the funding. But as you rightly say, Cookie, it's a vicious circle because ultimately all of that's somewhat irrelevant. You've, you've got to have the young lads coming. And you look at that, you look at that group that had success under Daryl Powell, and there was a lot of cast lads in there. And yet, the, you know, the Silay, you like to Nathan Massey, but they're getting on, aren't they? That's the other yep. thing. They, they get, it's a squad that that probably probably needed a refresh, a revamp yep. a couple of years ago. Who, who's, really. the next crop? who's the next crop coming through? You know what I mean? Like, like Kane Rob put, him, put himself about when I watched against St. Helens yeah. uh, well, last week. Good. We we played um, Midlands at, at Jewsbury on on Sunday, um, and Jason uh, Gary Gary were playing there. Like, why is he playing there? He, he's above that standard already. Um, I think he touched ball probably four or five times, and that were all in yardage. So it, it, they're not helping his progression. For me, the, the few times I've seen him in first team, and yeah, he's, he's still a young kid. But when I have seen him in there, he deserves a shot. And a lot of a lot of the fans obviously want people who who are going to play with a bit of passion and, and look like they're, they're enjoying playing for for their club. Yeah, and like Lewis Peachy was another, wasn't he? But he obviously got let go. Um, played a handful of games. I think he's at Sheffield now, isn't he? Yeah. It just it, I don't know. I I think I, I understand the, the the challenges that Castleford face, but and I've said this for a long time. I, I'm just not quite sure what what the future thinking is. Obviously that. The stadium plays a big part in that. Once once that stand is built, you know, brings in more corporate revenue. Hopefully for them, that means more investment in various areas. But at the minute, as a club, it, it just feels like when other clubs have progressed, and not all, but there may be in that group that have just stood still, and as a result, they've gone backwards. They've not only stood still. They've, they've, there was it, this goes back probably to when Daryl Powell was at the club and they met the grand final, doesn't it? Because all of them. And Craig spoke about, or you did, about a lot of young Castleford players or Castleford from the Castleford area was in that squad of players that made the grand final. And it was littered with some very, very good overseas players. And after that grand final, every one of them wanted an upgrade to the contract because there was one of the best teams in the competition. There was League League, League Leader Shield winners that made the grand final, even though they didn't win. They they they, they had um, all, all of that. So... The victim of their own success then means that they had to, they had to upgrade players' contracts. Yeah. And with all due respect, some of them probably wasn't worth the money that there was being given. But because they made the grand final, it meant you either pay them or they leave. And then it all, and then then he maybe went one or two years too long. Or Daryl left yeah. the club in a place when he went to Warrington with one or two or three players that was on good contracts, good money for, for a length of time, which is why now you've got 14 players off contract in one year and that's too many at a Super League club. That's you shouldn't weird. have that many players off contract at the same time. There should be a staggering effect of what do we need to achieve in the next three years and who's going to be looking at hanging the boats up or moving on or who are we moving on in the next few years because they upgraded everybody, gave them longer contracts and then it fell apart from 2017 onwards. You know, it yeah. fell apart from when they made the grand final onwards, uh, uh, and then it, it's 
Then the young players from Casas Craig saying end up going out of town because there's no investment in the youth. But what money have they got left if they've upgraded all of these contracts? Yeah, and it's, it, it, and, and it's that vicious circle of a rugby yeah. league club. You know, you're spinning right. plates all of the time with salary cap sports and money, and and once one plate falls off or them them overseas players aren't seen to be playing very well, you end up flicking them to somewhere else, and that's what's happening to cast it. If they're signing overseas players that are from England only, there's a reason that that other club are willing to let them go. It's a really tough one. It's a really tough one. And it's not it's not a quick fix at Castleford. So if you think that Andy Lass is going to quickly fix it, or you going out and getting a Justin Morgan or a Brian McDermott or a Brian Noble is going to fix it quickly, then you are kidding yourselves. Because the sport just doesn't work like that. It's so unforgiving. Just, yeah, it's it's a... It's a tough one, and and you're right. There there isn't a quick fix. I think it, you can go back, can't you? To, there was that infamous comment that John Wells made, if you recall. He was um, at Cass at the time doing recruitment. He said everyone else has signed players because they had to. We haven't because we don't need to. And that was that was the year after they they got to the grand final. And yeah. I think the only signing they made was Joe yeah. Wardle. That's Which obviously right. didn't work out. Is that, is that because they didn't have any salary cap left? Exactly, because they've upgraded all the players, Matt. Yeah. It's and not we don't him. need to. What he really should have said is, we, we haven't signed any players, not because we don't need to, but because we can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting one. It's it, and it's it, like you say, it's hard to see how it turns around in an instant. Yeah, look, are they underperforming at the minute? Absolutely they are. But was anyone back in Castleford to make the, the top six this year? I, I don't think many did. No. I don't think many did, which kind of is it tells you what people think about where Castle are at the minute, doesn't it? Just on Andy Lass, I'm gonna mention a few coaches' names that are being um they, we've just received exclusively from Betfred the odds that they'll be putting out for the, the coaching job in a minute. But ju- just on Andy last, we, we think that the plan was for him to get the job anyway. He now gets a dress rehearsal. It can work, but one of two ways, I suppose, in that, you know, if he does really well, it's immense and that would have been the right call. If they continue to be poor, then that will that might actually hinder his chances of getting it permanently. Who knows? It would be interesting to know where Cass are at with that right now. But it's it's worth noting that their their fixtures coming up are not easy. They've got Huddersfield away this week. They've then got Leeds at home, which you know they've just beat St Helens, but they'll, they'll be looking at that and thinking, okay. They then play Warrington, who are unbeaten, and then they go to Catalan. As far as dress rehearsals go, that's a pretty tough four games. Yeah, massive, massive four. I mean, the the start of the year for Cass was wasn't an ideal start in fixtures. You know, they've got I think the first seven games are, are all pretty tough, and um, obviously the stuff that's happened leading up to to this season hasn't helped that. So it, I think it were always gonna gonna be a test of of how the group was as well, uh, where the group were at, at what kind of a preseason um, they've had, and. I think it's. I think that whoever comes in now, you wouldn't. I mean, you wouldn't want the job, would you? Everything what's what's happening at the minute, it's a really, really difficult place to come in and and try and put your own stamp on it um, and sort the group out because it's not just you know the players that you have sort out. You know, the the fans are passionate as well. The fans have got opinions. The fans want 
the team winning each week. The fans expect every season that they should win the Super League, be the lead leaders, leaders and be in the, the grand final as there was in 2017. So they've, they've had that taste of success. So they demand the best. And unfortunately, I don't think it's just the players either or the coaching staff. It's further, further up as well. You, you've got to wonder why, like you say, why, why has John Wells left? Why, why are these people making decisions on this year? There's 14 players out of contract. Who, who's doing that? Is that someone inexperienced? Is that someone who's not really thought about this, this happening? So I think the old club probably needs to look at itself to, to try and rebuild and restructure everything. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that that from the outside does seem like what what's going to need to happen. It's a, it's not just a as simple as oh we'll tear up the squad. Like you say, you mentioned the youth. Obviously, the the facilities and the stadium is really good news. That that's really important to the club. Um, I, I say I, I've just felt for a while Castleford haven't really had too much of a strategy. I think they need one now. For me, Matt, when you speak about Andy Lass going in there and doing a job, it's not going to take a great deal to improve the on-field performances. There's got to be some staring into a mirror as a group of players, individually and collectively, and having some kind of passion, like Craig mentions about what the bands have and the town have, about playing rugby league for Castleford Tigers and throwing a shirt on and going out and dishing up what they dished up last week, in the second half particularly, ain't good enough. And I'll go back to the week before when they play Saints. They should score after 40 seconds and don't. Beretta Faremo should put the ball down in the field of play and not be a plank and put his, his, his elbow anywhere near the line. And maybe it's a draw. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the draw against St. Helens. I don't know. But the should, the, the, that's not coaching. That's not... Because the coaching staff got them to a position where Evels drops the ball cold. The coaching staff get Beretta Faremo over the line. Individually, they've got to take more care. And that won't take much fixing if you're somebody going in or you're Andy Last. Because all you've got to do is appeal to the better nature and appeal to the human nature of a player who plays the game because he wants to win and be good. Not go out there to play like a, and do some of the stuff that they've done. Because just, what they have done is not good enough. Just looking changing, from... that, changing that on-field performance won't be too difficult. What's really difficult for anybody is to change the strategy of the full club and to go in there make decisions which mean that in four or five years' time, this club is in a much better position. But lots of clubs go through that transition. You just spoke about OKR. That transition started when Tim Sheens was sacked and and um, Tony Smith went in. That started three years ago. So their identity now has taken three years to get back. So it's not a quick fix by any means. But the on-field performance can be changed quickly because... If you go in there and attack a player and appeal to his better nature and say, you know, what you're dishing up ain't good enough. Are you going to be better this week for me? He'll go out and be better because there should be a sense of personal responsibility and accountability for a coach being sacked or leaving the club. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, the players will have to have a bit of accountability because ultimately they're, what they do on the field has got 
somebody released from their contract. Yep. And I always remember um, probably just before Paula came in, when Basil had got sacked, Danny Hart took over for us for, for four weeks, I think. Mm. Um, and literally all we did for that four week was play some skills games, some conditioning, mm. in and around training with a bit of team stuff in it towards the back end of the week. And we just started having fun again and enjoying it and and, and realising why we actually played rugby league and, and what we played it for. And I think in that four weeks, I think we won three out of the four games and we I don't think we'd won a game all year. So I think Lastie just needs to probably put a little bit of love back into the boys, you know, put that put his arm around them, tell them that everything will be okay because ultimately it will be. They just need to, you know, come together as a group again. Um, and and probably they will get a reaction this week and yeah. probably turn, turn them over this week. Yeah, Andy Last is a favourite two to one. After that, Danny Ward, second favourite at the minute, five to two. He's obviously not really doing a great deal of anything at the minute, still down in London. Justin Morgan, Brian McDermott. Personally, given what we're saying about overseas, I don't see it being either of them. Danny yeah, he McGuire, won't be coming back, Matt, will he? <laughs> no. The, the, next, the next couple are interesting. Danny Maguire, Danny Orr, and Simon Griggs, who's at Halifax. Then you've got Ryan Carr, who gets linked with every job again. Can't see that happening. And Brian Noble, which will no doubt have come off the back of him saying recently, or oh, there have been suggestions that he wants to get back into coaching. Well, I think, I think... I'll, throw, I'll, throw name, I'll throw a name at you now, Matt, that hasn't been mentioned in any of that. If you want somebody to go in there and, and make the players work hard and give them give them some motivation to be better on the field, John Keir might be short-term. Because yeah. what he's going to do is get a reaction out of the full the, the, the full playing group. And he's, he's a cast lad, and he's not going to take any crap, is he? No, it's, no so there's, right, you know, well, that might be well, for the club, and I know that yeah. that might sound stupid, but he's a coach that makes you want to play for him. The only thing I'd say there, Cook, is you, you use two words: short term. I don't think this could be yeah, a short term, and that's the thing, that's what I'm saying. But listen, if you're thinking about relegation this year, which is what some people have mentioned to me, I don't see it because I see, I just see that Wakefield. Uh, uh, are a team that's spending 1.2 million and when you spend 1.2 million you get 1.2 million's worth of quality whereas Cass have got some quality but it's going to take that quality to come out for them to not be relegated because they can't keep playing the way that they're playing that is for sure but yeah the, the, there's got to be an immediate reaction from the playing group and I agree with Craig what Craig just said the likelihood is, is that they'll go to Woodersfield and win and even if they don't and they lose the next four it's certainly not going to be the coach's fault who's in there now in Andy Last because there's so many decisions that have been made both on and off the field and from the previous head coach and board members where they've got it so wrong. They've just got it so wrong. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting one, whoever gets the job. I'm not sure that they will make an appointment in the next six weeks and they could well be none from six, seven or eight games before, before they see a victory. That is for sure. Yeah, I, I think I think for me, just before I ask Gregory's opinion, um, I, I do think it'll be Andy Last from what, what we've heard. But of the names there, the ones that stand out for me uh, are the three young British coaches, Danny Ward, Danny Maguire, Simon Griggs. Um, Danny Ward, you know, he knows Caswell, doesn't he? He's played there. Um, I think, again, he did a great job at London, proved he could build a plan. Um Danny Maguire, very highly rated. Is he ready for a head coach's gig? He's suggested not at the minute, so maybe not quite the gig for him. Um, and then Simon Griggs, you know, Halifax have finished third back-to-back in the championship. They've no, 
The fans don't like it, but they've no real right to because they don't spend anything like a top three budget. But he gets them playing attractive rugby. They win games. They score plenty of points. And again, it, it might be a, a great step up for him. They, they'd be the three that sort of stand out for me beyond Andy Last, of course. I don't know what, what you think, Craig. Yeah, I, I think I agree with, with everything you say there. I think um, I think Andy Last is, is the obvious one. Um, he knows all the boys. He's, he's probably got plenty of ideas um, of his own. He's obviously no mug when it comes to coaching because he's been in the England setup. He's done great things with all, as, as Cookie said earlier. Um, so I think he's, he's the obvious choice. And as you say, I don't think there'll be a decision made probably for a good six weeks to two months. Um, on any sort of appointment. Um, but as you say, there's a great deal of young, talented coaches coming through. Obviously, Danny Maguire's got a, a wealth of experience in the game and and, and doing great over at OKR. Um, obviously, Grix is at uh, Halifax and, and doing, again, great things. I know I've spoke to Grix briefly. We have did a few sessions with them over at Dewsbury and... You know, he's got some great ideas. He's played at the top level. He's, he's, a, he's a very smart bloke. So I think as long as, as long as for me, it's a, a local young British um, coach who, who's passionate about what he's doing, I think it, it's great for the game. I, I'm not overly keen on um, the overseas coaches coming in. Um, I, I've worked with a few and you seem to lose lose a little bit of what the club's all about. I actually love Cookie's short-term uh, suggestion of John Kay. Um I, I loved it at Wakefield when he was there. I absolutely loved him. You know, just just listening to him talk, the passion that he speaks with, and the respect that he just gets from the boys straight away without even even saying that much. You know, and, and you feel like you want to play for him. It, it, he's really he's a really really good uh, good guy to work for. So yeah, but any any of them four. I, I won't have a, an issue with it. Just needs to be somebody who's going to come in and who can who can get the the club back up to where it needs to be. I mean, one thing I think we can all agree on with with John Keir, fantastic bloke, and and you won't find anyone who loves not only rugby league more but Castleford as a place more. Exactly that. Yeah. However, Matt, I'll say this as well. It, there's, there's, if you're a head coach now, so. Put put your put your coach's hat on, Craig. If you're going in there, what what, what you you're going to want to take your staff in with you, or you're going to want to take yeah. people that you trust in with you. Is there the money available to pay Andy Last off and get rid of Scott Morell, who's now on the staff, or somebody else, a, a, a conditioning coach? Because one thing yeah. you want is trust. You want to be able to trust the people yeah. that that you, that you, that you're working with. So you're not going to go in there. And say right, we'll keep everything as it is because it's not worked. And Andy's got the opportunity, and I believe he will be given the opportunity to stake a claim for the job in an interim basis to make permanent. Because he's he's going to go in. He's in there already. He doesn't need paying off. None of the staff need paying off. He just needs to get a reaction from the players. Yeah. If, if there is another coach going to go in there. He maybe is going to have to go in there, and the board say, "Well, we're not changing anything else." So if you come in, you're coming on your own. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough one. That especially, I think it were a full overall, wasn't it, when Powell left and, and yeah. Radders came in. Well, that he was brought easy all though, his, he his... took them with him. He didn't have to. Yeah, he took them with him, didn't he? Yeah. So that was a little and bit that's, easier. That's the difference. It is obviously an head coach, a new head coach coming in. It's well, this is what you've got. If you don't like it, 
you're probably not going to get the job. And, not going to get the job, and, yeah. And them them coaches and conditioning staff who's been there have already formed bonds. They all know where they stand. They all know the pecking order. And, and a new head coach coming in is going, going to have to stamp his own authority, not just on the players, but on the staff as well. Let's move on just to wrap up, uh, just onto the, the Super League from this week. don't think we need to go over much more of Castle and Wigan. Um, other than <laughs> what about Tom Grant with a try-saving tackle on Liam Marshall? Have we seen that? <laughs> well, the, the, the funniest thing about that, Matt, is the parody account of the RFO where he's saying he's got a two-game ban and everybody's jumping on it on Twitter. Oh, it's a disgrace he's got so much <laughs> <laughs> it, it tickles me every time I read it. But, you know uh, what's funny, though? People haven't realised that that account is a parody. People it is take a parody, it yeah. The, 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 other thing, the other thing, and I mentioned this, um, would have all been mourning that Tom Grant had he pulled it back because he wasn't in position. Well, you've got to get yourself into position to allow the game to restart quickly. It's a really unfortunate incident. Unfortunately, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. But I applaud Tom Grant for starting the game in the way that he should have been started. And he's done his best to get out of the way. It's not his fault that Marshall runs like an ostrich and he doesn't. <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that. He's quick and he's Some, not. And Them cast boys were probably happy that he won it, way. <laughs> he's the best he's a, the one from one one try yeah. saving tackle out of 100% he walks off the field with Tom Grant yeah. man of the match Thursday night uh, Warrington you know what I was even though they were flaky defensively first half I was really impressed with Warrington in the sense of last year they had no backbone they were spineless the moment they saw any adversity they crumbled well they faced adversity front on, having played poor at home, smattering of booze, defended all over the shop, and then scored 30 unanswered points. I think of all the victories they've had so far, that was probably the biggest tick in the box for Warrington. To be fair, I, I didn't see much of that game. I've only watched the highlights of it. But again, it's a, it's a fair effort for any team to come back from, from what they did and and then to keep them them scoreless as well. Um, and as you say, last year, they'd have, it'd have probably been 50-60. Um, of how, how they were performing, but it just looks like Paul has got them playing a little bit better. There's that togetherness again, the stuff that we've just been talking about. The lads have got each other's back, they've got the coaches back, everybody's on the same page, and they're working hard for each other. And you know, when you look at the Warrington squad as a whole, they've, they've got some some squad, some great players in there. You know, just looking at the pack, uh, it, it's it's unreal. And then to think you've got a couple of couple of players to come back in, Dudson uh, and Maguire as well, to go in there. But then you've got young James Harrison standing up as well and, and really showing why he's in Super League. I thought, I, do you know, Matt, I'll, I'll go the other way. I thought Salford were outstanding first half. They were awesome. And, and, and for, for as poor and flimsy as you say that Warrington was defensively, Salford are a really tough team to defend against because they shift the ball everywhere and they move the ball all over. And they went 6-0 down, so they showed some backbone, Salford, to get back into the game and, and, and post a lead on, on Warrington. Um, the start of the second half really helped Warrington because they went nine minutes without not having, you know, Salford didn't have the ball for nine minutes. And that nine minutes, I, I spoke of in commentary and said that could really catch up with them at the end of the game. And it did. And yeah. it did because they continued to then make errors and make poor plays. So, second half, Joe Burgess runs across the field, throws a forward pass, and it knocked the knock on, and, and Warrington end up scoring. Well, in the first half, they didn't make them mistakes, Salford. So, for as bad as what you say Warrington was first half, I thought Salford was outstanding. And then you flip it the other way, 
for as bad as what you say Warrington was first half, they was outstanding second half, and Salford couldn't hold on to a goal, couldn't catch a goal. Um, but I felt for Salford. It was the old cliche of a game of two halves. It was as simple as that. And I agree with you. You're right. Last year they lose by sixty. The, yeah. the fall apart and lose by sixty. Okay, and then I'll, I'll we'll go, we'll put our Castleford hat back on. Last year was a disaster for Warrington. How many players did they have off contract last year, Matt? Fourteen. Fourteen. So all of a sudden you're trying to shift your squad and rotor and roster so that you can get the right players into your joint. And don't forget, he brought Ollie Holmes over from Cass and flicked him. He flicked Toby King. He got rid of Mike Cooper. All of a sudden, them decisions, which were massive, because the, the latter of the two were part of the furniture of Warrington, have come home to roost because he's now got the players in place that he wants to hit to play the way he wants to play. And yeah, it looks better. Yeah, but for 12 for twelve months, he was probably lucky to keep his job. Yeah, Salford were very good. A few tough calls, I thought. I thought that Briley yeah. Simbini was, was harsh, to be but honest. It's harsh, Matt. It's harsh. And we spoke about this on the way home, myself and Craig Maddock, driving back home in 62. It's harsh if it's a singular incident. There was set restart after set restart and penalty after penalty in the first nine minutes of that second half, which in the old rules, what does he do? He puts a big circle in the hand and he warns all the team that the next one's going to be Simbin. And I think in as an isolated incident, it's harsh. But when you look at the full game or the full second half as penalties, he had to make a decision at some point to send somebody to the Simbin because there was too many set restarts and penalties. Yeah, fair enough. I just, I just didn't think it were a set restart, were they? I, I didn't think he was. I thought he got off him in a decent time. But look, well, the, the other one is Drinkwater should be Simbin as well for asking for a Simbin in the cat. Oh, I hate seeing that. I yeah, hate seeing that. that's a disgrace. Yeah, not a fan of that. We're not football. We're not football. Um, talking of controversy, uh, Leeds saying that was a fantastic win for Leeds. Twenty-five, uh, twenty-four. Blake Austin gets him off the mark. It, it was a, a heated game, that's fair to say. I mean, honestly, Craig, I, I didn't think there were any issue with the cards. I thought the horror ones are shocker. The, yep. the late hits, the late hits. I think the, the, the call for me is that Sam Walters, was it, was it not a shoulder charge? And that ultimately denied St. Ellen's the chance to go in front yeah. because yeah. you had the penalty in front of the sticks. Off the back of it going the other way, Hurrell gets sent off. And off the back of that, Leeds win the game with a drop goal. Well, what was what was your take on that incident? I think on the Walters one, you've got to say it's a shoulder charge, especially with everything in place now. Um, he, he sort of jumps into the tackle and his arm, no attempt to put his arm around um, the attacker coming to him um, and clearly hit him in the face. Um, I mean, what, 10 years ago? That had been a great shot. Everybody been raving over it and, and you know Sonny Bill made a, a living out of, of that kind of thing and but nowadays you know with the concussion stuff what's it in place it's 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 definitely a penalty and potentially he, he could he were lucky not to see at least a yellow but potentially a red as well um and and you're watching the games and it's so how the refs are reffing them which again I I wouldn't do it f for anything um because they're under that much pressure but You've got to be consistent with your actions, and and Conrad O'Reilly yeah, got sent off because of, for me, similar sort of action. You know, he's left his shoulder in there and he's he's made contact with the head. Um, so yeah, deserves deserves to be sent off. But there's just not enough consistency within within the games within the penalties. It's it's same as the six again rule. It's a great rule, but 
what happens if you're a point down with a minute to go and you get a six again? Five, six years ago, that would have been a penalty under the sticks and you kick a kick a goal and you win the game. So I think some of the rules and, and stuff what's in place at the minute needs needs a massive rethink and it probably needs, you know, some ex-players in, involved in them rule changes because some of it's uh, really hindering the game. Yeah, I, I, it's difficult to referee a game first and foremost. And when they're on Sky, it's even more difficult because everything's scrutinised from more than one camera angle. So I'm okay with the referee getting the Walters thing wrong and I'm okay with him getting it right or wrong. And I'm okay with him sending Hurrell off. I'd have been okay with the yellow card. It'd have made no odds, really, would it? Because the game, unless the game did go to Golden Point. But the the difficulty for referees is, is it's, it, it's refereed differently on Sky because the video referee can have a look and then advise as well. Um, I've got no issue with the result at the end of the day either. If I'm Saints, I'm asking Tommy Makinson why he's missed a kick from five metres to the right of the post. So you tell me that he gets a penalty and he kicks from the shoulder charge. What if he misses that one as well? Because the one he missed was a disgrace for a goal kicker. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about Wellsby running in? And so, have I. so it's not. It's not easy to. It's easier. It's easier to kick that goal and miss it. And Tommy Makinson's missed. Reese Martin's last try to level the game. How many missed tackles do you think Reese goes through before he scores? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I say, what about Wellsby running in? Saints haven't lost the game because of a referee's incident or not incident. They've lost the game because of their own inability to win the game. Yeah. And and when all's said and done, if Wellsby doesn't run in and react to it, the penalty's never given in the first place. It's played and they'll get a chance at the drop goal regardless. Exactly. So there's lessons to be learned, isn't there? Because, uh, again, uh, uh, Wellsby's running in to make a, a point of it. Well, if he continues to do that, then is, it, is that not the same as Josh Drinkwater asking for 10 minutes for Ryan Briley? Yep. You're asking the referee to make a decision when he's decided that isn't one to make. Yeah, true. true. You know, and, the game, and the game doesn't carry on or carries on and, or goes against you. And, and you've got to be really careful as a player to continually run in and do them things. And it's not the first time Wellsby's done so. He's got to learn some lessons quickly. For as wonderful as a player he is, you can't you can't referee games. You've got St. Ellen's shirt on. Not yeah. one of them referees ones that are green or yellow. But is that because he's he's been able to get away with to. passing? Like yeah. for me, the the cast game the week before, that's his contact with the head. He stopped to try. It's at least a yellow card, and then some action maybe further down the line. But he's, they've set a pre- precedence again that actually. It's nothing for him. If that were Liam Watts who's done that tackle, would it have been the same outcome? Yeah, before, yeah, I agree completely. And then yeah. the the eight-point tries at Warrington, I mean, I've got no issue with the first eight-point try whatsoever because he runs in and, and slides with his knees and it's a, a dog act. You don't need to be doing that. Uh, but how many times do you see that? I've sympathy with Watkins because Watkins is trying to knock the ball out. But he, get, he, just, he does catch his chin, whether you like it or not. So there is an there's an element of saying I'm okay with the first eight point try, the second one's a bit harsh, but I'm still okay with it because he hits yeah. his chin. No, and and the, the one before with the week before with Wellsby, it's a try, and it's an eight point try because he's going to score no matter what. Yeah, he is in the, he is in the act of scoring, even though it's before the try line. So that, are we saying it has to be over the try line in, in the act of scoring? Is that the rule? I don't know, but you're right in some of the other rules too, Craig. We need looking at. A battle of your uh, two of your former clubs uh, on Friday night as well, Craig Goodersfield and Wakefield. Goodersfield getting off the mark, eight a win. Are we worried for Wakefield? Potentially, yeah. I think you know the, there's a lot going on. The club's 
obviously trying to go in the right direction via you know the stadium um upgrading that doing the right thing there um probably the strength in depth is what probably is helping wakefield um once to pick up a couple of injuries and i know a few of the boys there have been struggling uh over the last couple of weeks with different bits and pieces so it, it's a tough situation to be in you know you've gone into a season um and people have already been trying to write you off um now, I, I've been into Wakefield a couple of times, just picking up a few you know, ideas off, off Marsh and Ford and just seeing what they do and what we can implement at Jewsbury. They've got a great bunch of lads there. You know, they're all in the same direction. They're all fighting for each other. They're all wanting to work hard. I think, you know, there'll be no relegation or at least it won't be one of the, the, the two local teams that I'm fond of. It's early days, isn't it? You know, and they're not the only team winless because, of course, Castleford are as well. Um, they've probably had a few games. You know, you look at that Catalans team that they put out that first round, Huddersfield are, are game behind. There's probably been a few opportunities there for, for him to get going and they've they've not been able to. And you're always concerned if you end a game with a nil to your name. Well, that's twice in two weeks as well. The first game, I... I, I pick Catalan, but because because I think Wakefield are, are only spending a, a portion of the salary, eventually it will catch up with them and it will relegate them. And I think it will be this year. And even though we're that early in, I'm willing to put my neck on the line, as I was at the beginning of the year, and say they're going to struggle most of the year. The Catalan team that they did play against was winnable. It was gettable. And to concede 30-plus and lose scoring almost 30 or 30-plus is a real tough one to, for them to take. Um the other one, Matt, and I said this to you the other week, is a pitch. People kept telling me on Thursday night when I was at Warrington, well, it might be a, a, a blessing for them because people that come there won't want to come there. But them players are on it every fortnight and training on it. And if it's burning their knees, it's painful. And it stops you training yeah. and practising properly. You know, so ultimately there's, there's lots of things that are conspiring against them. And the pitch is a big one for me because if they're going off the field with burns on the knees, I spoke to you last week about this. It's a painful injury, a Ben. Yeah, and we're talking yeah. Bens that have been infected as well. Um, and there's, so there's been a few, uh, there's, there's a few pictures from this weekend as yeah. well. Yeah, of Yeah, Proctor wasn't it, Kevin Proctor? Sorry, Proctor. Yeah, sorry, Proctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's a tough one. And, and I watched the game this morning for the Man of Steel panel. Um, it was a tough watch. It was as tough a watch as Catalan and Lee the week before because it was the game of, of not a great deal of quality. Nil-nil at the break. Two-nil uh, up until Greenwood scores his try and Lola here converts it to make it eight-nil. No further scoring since then. And they're trying really hard, Wakefield. They've got some good players. They're doing the best. They're trying the best they can. Um, but ultimately, they're, they're lacking about £500,000 worth of value uh, on top of the other team. Uh, and that's most weeks because most other clubs, if not all of the clubs, will be spending the full salary cap. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, what else happened this weekend? Lee got off the off the mark. Ah, that's a fantastic win at Hull KR because uh, Hull KR have been good. So brilliant win for them. They, they've never they've never had any doubt that not only will they stay up, but they'll actually be competitive. And while they did lose the first two games. I think I've I've seen enough to suggest that that'll be the case. I'm not I'm not going to say that they're going to do this and going to do that. I still I know they scored thirty at the weekend. I still 
wonder where points are going to come from consistently. That, that, that was the issue I have with that, Matt. The, the issue I had with Lee, and I saw them against Salford round one, and then I watched them in Catalan last week, and I backed OKR again this week. Um, I thought OKR would be better against... Uh, Salford would be better against OKR, but wasn't. It's a, it's a real merry-go-round in terms of fixtures and who's winning and who's not winning. Um, I, my, the struggle with Lee for me is scoring points and scoring them consistently, as you've just said. But to score 30 away from home at Craven Park and win the game is good, really good. And some of the tries that they did score was fantastic. The other tries that they've scored this year was Charlie's one against Salford to open the scoring. And then they scored one off a kick last week in France. But they've got to find a way of opening teams up and scoring points the way they did at Hull KR. But it was a fantastic win and they're stuck in there. And I, I agree with you. I think they will be competitive and I don't see them getting, you know, 40s and 60s put on them like Wakefield did at Wigan too often. It might be once every five, six, ten weeks, maybe. Um, but it won't be, and they won't be nilled too often either. I think they will have some points in them, whether it's enough to win lots of games and make a top six. or, But it certainly be enough to, to avoid relegation, I think. Just on, on Hull KR, it's a dampener of the result for them, isn't it? After such a good start to the season and... I suppose the, the one there is that it's the first game where there's some real expectation from to 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 win and, and probably win well and they, they they come up with not only the worst result of the season but the worst performance of the season so far as well. You're absolutely bang on. All, all of the, the all of the helium in the balloon has just been let out by Hulk AR with that performance and result. And the, the last one is is the, the result in, in France with Hull FC, which is a disappointing one. But of the two results in our city, in my city, the Hull KR one's the worst one. The killer for them is, you're looking at, it was a chance for them to make history. First time they'd have won from the bounce at the start of any Super League season. Um, a big crowd in again. It was a, I think you got it right, it just took all the helium out of the balloon. And next up, to make it even worse, is Warrington, which isn't by any means a guaranteed win. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a shocking result for Hull KR. And, I say that because if by if if experts or, or my opinion matters, then I think Lee will not make the playoffs, and they'll be down towards the lower end of the table come the end of the season. And them games at home, you can't lose if you want to make playoffs and playing big games at the end of the season. It's okay losing to Warrington this week because Warrington will be up there, and you're going to have to give yourself a chance by playing really well against Warrington. They didn't play really well at the weekend. Had they had done, they would have beaten Lee. Lee have stuck in there, and full credit to them. But the Rovers' result has just... It's deflated everybody. I think everybody that left there, you know, was really gutted by the performance of the team and the fact that they didn't get a result. Um, and, and you go back to round one when they beat Wigan, and, and they beat Wigan convincingly, even though the scoreline doesn't suggest. There was actually very good against Wigan. Um, conceded four tries, only three of them was from kicks, so um, it, it's a really tough result for Hull KR, and, a, and a, a worse one in this city where I live than Hull FCs, because going to France in the, in the same day and losing by 40 can happen to any team, not just Hull FC, but any team, but losing at home to Lee won't happen to many teams this year, I don't think. And, and finally, Catalans, still unbeaten after uh, the, the beat Hull FC easy, to be honest, though the scoreline suggests so. Craig, are you surprised to see the Dragons doing as, as well as they are so far? 
No, not really. You know, they've they've been up there, haven't they, for the last uh, three or four years. And I looked at the team when they played Wakefield round one. And what were noticeable for me, there were quite a few French, young French lads in there as well. So, you know, they're starting to get the talent pool from from over there with, with local youngsters in in and around uh, the experienced players like like your Tompkins and obviously Drinkwater's not there anymore, but people like him and learning from from them guys. So it, it can only be good for, for Super League that uh, them kinds of players are, are, are coming up now and also good for the, the international game that, you know, young French players are, are getting better. So there's definitely quality in and around that team. And, you know, they've always signed really big Aussie players as well, aren't they, um, over there. So it, it doesn't really surprise me uh, that they are still going well. Probably what does surprise me that they're going so well, we're, we're probably a, a little bit more of an unknown team, as as I say, with the, with the young French lads coming in. I think I think it's been a fantastic start for them, given... I, I know they've not played... I mean, I tip the three teams that they've played so far to be in the bottom four. So, in that sense, I'm not awfully surprised. But I think when you take into account that Tompkins has missed a few games, Pierce hasn't played, Takiara has missed a few games, they've had a lot of salary cap money on the, on the sidelines and they've come through those games. I, I think that's probably why I'm quite impressed by what they've been able to do so far. And... You know, Hull were unbeaten as well. Granted, I didn't think they were great against Leeds. I thought that were a game between two poor teams. Without being there, it sounded like it was maybe a bit of the same against Castleford, albeit they were very good for 50, 55 minutes. Um, but yeah, I just think, I think given the circumstances, that's a really nice start for Catalan um, because it could have gone another way. It could have gone another way and then it, they're in all sorts of trouble. As for FC... Cookie was that coming, and I, I don't, I don't want to be off, awfully critical of, of FC because ultimately they got two wins from two, and it was a good start. But were perhaps the results a little bit better than the performance had been? Well, the, the result, the result against Castleford wasn't a good result, other than the the two point victory at the end of it. The result against Leeds was gritty, and let you right probably against between two poor teams. The result against Catalan can happen because if you go there and don't aim up against them big French players and them big Aussie players that they bring in, then you will get rolled over like that. And Steve Maxwell is constantly powerful, play with power, play with strength and power through the middle. And if you don't you don't aim up in the middle in France, you will get beat by 40. And it won't, they won't be the first or the last team. The other side to that is there's, there's an element where the Tony Smith knows that they're going to start poorly and, and not be great early season because of the way he's tackled his yeah. pre-season, which I've spoke personally to him about. So I understand that completely. But it's, again, a real kick up the backside for some of their players because for 55 minutes, it was great against Cass, but almost threw it away. The positive to that is last year, they probably did throw it away or do throw it away, but they got a win. They went to Leeds and was gritty against the poor Leeds team, but come out on the right side of the scoreline. And if they can keep jagging some of them wins, Matt, the, the odd result like last weekend will happen to them. But if they're flying in August, then nobody will care. Um, but if that remains to be seen. But it it's not... A, I never saw that result and performance from Hull FC come in. I saw... Uh, Lee the week before in France and as I've said to you I watched that for the Man Steel panel and it's probably one of the worst games of rugby I've watched for a number of years um, 
And so I, my, I backed Hull on the basis that I didn't think Catalan was very good the week before. And it doesn't work out like that. If they turn up and play like that, they'll roll more teams. So it's difficult with, with Hull's result. But they've got to get better, no question about that. And, and, and again, it's a kick up the backside for some of their players who maybe with two wins from two thought they was a little bit more invincible than they are. Well, gents, I think we're done. Thank you very much for joining us. It's gone on far longer than I, I expected, but we've put the world to rights, haven't we? So Always do. Love it. That was House of League. Big thank you to everyone who's listened. Gradings coming up, a special podcast later in the week as IMG reveal all. We will be back then. For now, enjoy your week. And above all else, enjoy your rugby league. Take care.